Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Jesus is teaching, it says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so this evening from this passage, I want to uh, teach and preach a little bit on this subject. When you pray. When you pray. Would you put your Bible down and would you ask God to speak to us out of His Word for the next few minutes? Lord, thank You. Thank You that You have safely brought us here. Not by accident, but by Your divine design. We're here. God, You know expressly what You want to say and communicate to us through Your Word. You know the work that You desire to do in each of our lives while we are here this very evening. And so I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that your will would be accomplished in our lives, that your kingdom would be realized in our midst, even this evening, Father. I pray in Jesus' name against every obstacle and barrier and distraction. I take dominion and authority by the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And we honor you and we worship you and we bless your name, God. In Jesus' name we pray. If you say amen, you may be seated. So time with God. And this evening we want to talk about when you pray. I'm very grateful for the ministry of Brother Josh Carson this past Sunday. His message was powerful. I was very direct, guided by the Lord. We laughed for 25 minutes, and then we cried for five. Brilliantly handled by Brother Carson. There is nothing more important than me and my family spending time with God. Nothing. And in light of this timeless biblical truth, I I really believe that each of us here tonight, that we all, in fact, do yearn to spend time with God. Every one of us was created to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to be in a fellowship with our Heavenly Father, to worship Him, and to be conformed into His image. And so the question tonight in this congregation is, how do we do this? And the short answer would be we spend time with God in worship and in being made in His image through the spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, meditation, stewardship, Bible reading, study, These are all paths 
or means whereby we daily spend time with God. And so throughout March and maybe even to the beginning of April, on some Wednesdays, we're going to take time to slow down and examine some of these vital spiritual habits that place us in the presence of God and position us to be conformed in his image. Because here is a fact check for all of us. None of us will accidentally be apostolic. None of us just stumble into the presence of God. None of us just randomly, magically, with the jelly bean they gave you at baptism, bamo, you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We all know that that just isn't reality. And this seems to be what Paul had in mind when he writes and charges Timothy to train, to exercise, to discipline himself in godliness. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and 7, but reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, thank God, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So Paul is very direct to Timothy. Timothy, you must discipline or exercise yourself towards godliness. You see, the ultimate purpose of prayer, the ultimate purpose of fasting, the ultimate purpose of studying the Word of God, the ultimate purpose of meditating upon the Word of God or in the presence of the Lord, above all the things that we may ascribe to why we want to engage in these spiritual habits. Paul says that the purpose of the disciplines is godliness, that I am pursuing God, that I am desiring to be in his presence, and that I desire to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I grasp this truth, when we really believe that it is for the purpose of godliness that I am disciplining myself in the spiritual habits found in Scripture, then all of a sudden I realize that prayer is not a task to be checked off my to-do list. That reading my Bible isn't just so I can attend a Sunday lunch in January and proudly declare that I read my Bible through and where's my certificate, thank you very much. The biblical disciplines are for the purpose of godliness. And when I grasp that and when I really believe that, then all of a sudden these habits are transformed from drudgery into delight. All of a sudden it's no longer an obligation to spend time with God. It's not a dread that I've got to read in my Bible. It's not a dread that I'm going to dedicate this day to fasting because I want to be in his presence and I want to be made into the image that he has created me to be. And so I embrace these disciplines and I delight in them. 
I delight to spend time with God. I now delight in becoming the person God's created me to be. And for me as a father and a husband, I delight in knowing that my family is becoming who God wants them to be as well. It is for the purpose of, everybody say, godliness. Thank you. And so before we kind of jump into specifically looking at prayer this evening, there are a few foundational truths and facts about spiritual disciplines that are probably not new to anyone here this evening, but we need to remind ourselves of them in order to make sure that we are doing all that we can to pursue godliness. First, we have to understand that they are not the end goal. Prayer, fasting, reading the word of God is not the end goal. They are the means to an end. And the end is to be in the presence of God. The end is to be conformed into his image. Richard Foster wisely notes, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. They are the path of disciplined grace. The disciplines, prayer and fasting and Bible reading and stewardship is not about earning brownie points. It is not the end. It is not the ultimate goal. It is the path. It is the means. It is the way that I get into his presence. And it is how I position myself so that God can make me and anoint me and use me for his purpose. Secondly, they do not earn status for us in the economy of God. Prayer, every minute of prayer is not worth 10 points on your credit card app. Every verse you read is not a bonus five points for the month of March that you can cash in for a gift card for a healing to use whenever you would need it or a blessing or the miracle check in the mailbox. Wow, if I can earn 10,000 points, I'm going to get the miracle check. That is not the purpose of spiritual disciplines. They do not earn us rewards. They take us to Jesus. Thirdly, we should respect the leading and the guiding and the working and the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual transformation is kind of like hoisting the sails and steering the rudder of a sailboat. We do all that we can do, but ultimately we are totally dependent on the wind. We, we are exercise ourselves in the disciplines. We devote ourselves in spending time with God. But at the end of the day, I am desperately dependent on the wind of the Spirit to guide me, to direct me, to strengthen me, to fulfill me. And so as we engage in these disciplines, as we exercise ourselves towards godliness, our routine should not be rigid. We should not wake up and flog ourselves because our routine was altered somehow the previous day or the week or the season of life. We should respect the freedom and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Spirit wants you on your face praying in intercession for that hour of time you have. Maybe the Spirit knows that you're going to have a conversation today and so it prompts you to spend your entire devotion reading 
reading a passage of Scripture, we should allow the freedom and the guiding of the Spirit and respect that. Number four is we should respect our unique temperaments and our gifts. And none of us uh, will engage in the disciplines the same. I don't pray like you pray. I, my morning routine may not be like your morning routine, and it will vary by our temperaments and by our giftings. The pace of spiritual growth will vary. Some of you are like a rocket off the launch pad, and you look like you've been serving God for 15 years, and you've just prayed 15 minutes. Others of us have been serving God for 15 years and we're kind of trudging along like we've only prayed 15 minutes in our whole life. The pace is different for all of us. And then lastly, for this evening, we should understand and respect seasons of life and take that into account. You see, the mother of a newborn. I've taught too long in 201 class and at this point, I've watched mom after mom after mom over 10 years of teaching spiritual disciplines, mom after mom breaking down at this point of a 201 class because they are being beat by a baseball bat by hell because they can't spend seven hours a day in spiritual disciplines. And so we should respect seasons of life. That mom doesn't have to spend seven hours a day in spiritual disciplines. They are honoring God and in the perfect will of God by nurturing that child that God gave them. And they may only have five minutes standing in a shower with shampoo all in their hair while daddy holds the baby. But those five minutes, they are in the presence of God and the throne room of God. And God doesn't need an hour to touch you and minister to you and God doesn't need you to prove your loyalty to him. You don't have to earn brownie points with God. So when you're in a season of life that's just crazy, would you just take a breath of fresh air and let the Holy Ghost come down and strengthen you where you're at and know it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And every season of life gives an opportunity to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. And you can say amen to that. Amen. amen. So again, throughout all of this, the ultimate purpose of the spiritual disciplines is godliness. You getting it? A little hesitant. <laughs> so tonight, for the rest of our time together, I want us to examine... Uh, prayer and examine the biblical practice of prayer by focusing on Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6 during what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible is filled with instruction on prayer, and any of these passages are enlightening and powerful. But I, I do feel directed this evening to simply look at Matthew 6 and see how it can help us as we seek to spend time with God through prayer. Prayer is simply my communication with God. It's simply me talking to my Heavenly Father. God is not an impersonal God. He's not distant. He's not reluctant to get involved in the cosmos of humanity. 
He is a personal God who is totally interested in a one-on-one, face-to-face relationship with you and I. He is so intent on that that he came himself as the man Christ Jesus and gave his life on a cruel cross so that you and I could be in a relationship with God Almighty. He is not a God to sit on a shelf. He is not a God sitting in, uh, you know, upon the throne of the heavens uninterested. He is a God who cares about you, who knows your name. He knows the very number of the hairs upon your head. He knows your end from your beginning, and he desires to be in relationship with you. That is why prayer or two-way communication, it's why prayer is so vital for you and vital for me and vital for every disciple of Jesus Christ. Fortunately, Jesus took time throughout the Gospels to teach on prayer. And here in Matthew 6, he especially focuses on the motive and the manner of prayer. And as we read through this passage, I do want you to notice that Jesus does not say if you pray. But three times he says when you pray. In other words... Prayer is an expectation of every disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer is a divine summons into the presence of the Almighty. But it's not just a summons. It is a loving, royal invitation to be mine and I'll be yours. Be my son, my daughter, and I'll be your father. And so Jesus said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus makes vividly clear that motive matters. Everybody say motive matters. Jesus makes clear that prayer is not about being loud and proud. Prayer is not about drawing attention to yourself. Prayer is not about what you're doing and what you are trying to have everyone else watch what you are doing. Prayer doesn't, it's not some ladder that you can climb to gain special status among the family of God. Prayer is about being real with God. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those who are delusional to think that because they can fake their brothers and sisters out that they are faking out God. Here's a reality check. You can't fake out God. So why try? So just be real. Be clear. When you pray, Jesus is teaching us motive matters. You can stomp around and walk these aisles. You can just quote the beautiful, most eloquent poetry and make us all just hover in humiliation that we can't pray like you. But if your mind is astray and your heart's not focused on God, your reward is that we look at you and say, wow, you're a good prayer. Prayer. That's a pitiful reward because I can't help you do much of anything. 
I want the reward that says, I need you, God. And here's the real deal. And it is pull back the covers, strip down the facade. And here I am, God, in your presence as your son. Motive matters. Then Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And we and you have shut your door. Pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so we must be free from distraction. Motive matters. And now Jesus says, when you pray, you need to be free from distraction. This room that Jesus refers to is probably an inner storeroom that likely in most first century Palestinian homes would have been the only room with a lock on it. Speaking of kids, Jesus says, go find that room. Wherever that room is. In other words, go find a place that is private and that is free from distraction. Now, I know, I understand. It's a hard place to find in 2020. Can you say amen? Man, y'all are acting like, oh yeah, I'm there all the time, just free from distraction. Meanwhile, you've got your eight-inch phone strapped to your side, just vibrating, and you're free of distraction. Right. Right. It's a hard place to find in 2020. Because whether we want to admit it or not, many of us are constantly connected to our device. We wake up and grab it. It's the alarm. We go to bed and set it down. It's the alarm. And we're, you know, we're married to it closer than anything on the planet. Many of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are numb by an addiction to a never-ending stream of noise from some device. We don't even care what it is. We just need noise. And some of us are frightened silly by stillness and silence. Yet Jesus calls us to find a private place that is free from distraction. I don't know where that place is for you, but you need to find it. Wherever it's at, you may have to be disciplined to let go of your precious phone. You may have to turn some things off with the remote that was handily made for that very purpose. You may have to set aside some tasks and turn off some alarms. You may have to Face reality that the world will keep spinning if someone can't reach you for 10 minutes. You're not the president, nor his aide. Right? That private place of prayer. Jesus said, motive matters. But then you need to be free from distraction. And, and I do need to say this before we move in. that This passage is not prohibiting public prayer. Public and corporate prayer mark the ministry of Jesus, the disciples, and the first century church. The point is motive. You've got to have a desire to get near or or get in the presence of God and be near him. Then Jesus said for the third time, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And so Jesus has talked about motive. He's talked about being free from distraction. And now he's teaching us that when you pray, it must be an expression of faith. 
He focuses on this attitude and practice that marked the pagans, that marked the Gentiles. It marked people who served idols made by hands and of their own imagination. It marked societies who believed that they needed to inform and badger their deity to get involved in their lives. Jesus says, that's not what it is between you and I. God-pleasing prayer is not about informing God. It's not about badgering God. It's not about babbling sounds without meaning, which would mark pagan practices. It's not about vain repetitions. It's not about saying empty prayers. It's not about mindlessly repeating words over and over and over and over again, thinking that somehow you will earn the attention of God. Prayer is not about leveraging God. Prayer is not about even trying to get God's attention. Prayer is an expression of faith in my relationship with God. It is an expression that I have total trust in Him. The God we serve, the God we serve as His sons and daughters, as children of God, as disciples, you don't have to demand God's attention. You don't have to inform God of what you need. God delights in you. God's always paying attention to you. You're the apple of his eye. You're the very apex of his created order. God delights in you. He's always watching you. He's as close as the mention of his name. So so Jesus is teaching us, don't be like the pagans, somehow thinking that I've got to plead and pay and badger God to please hear me. Jesus said, no, 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 no. At the mention of my name, I'm there. I was already there. I was waiting on you before you ever thought about praying. And God knows what you need. I'm not, I don't pray like I'm convinced of that sometimes. I hedge over here. Then I slide around here and build a little more case. Then I'm like a good lawyer. I come over here from this angle and I cite some evidence. I'm building my case And all God knows the whole time, what a wasted song and dance. I already know what you want. You could say it in 30 seconds. So it is an expression of faith. Now, again, Jesus isn't telling us to not be persistent in prayer. Jesus isn't talking about the frequency of prayer. The issue is faith. Jesus says, when you pray, don't act like God has to be bothered and he's some distant, uncaring God. He's our heavenly father and he's standing right beside us. Pray with that kind of faith. When you pray with somebody, what if you really prayed believing that Jesus Christ is standing right here and his hand is on their head with my hand and in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the expression of faith. And so... When you pray, Jesus is helping us with knowing how to pray, being a better prayer warrior, being a better person of disciplined prayer for the purpose of godliness. So Jesus now kind of turns his attention and interjects what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. It's a model. It's a pattern of prayer. It doesn't mean that we can't recite it doesn't mean that we can't pray it, but it's really a pattern or a model that we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus isn't trying to address every aspect of prayer. 
that you can find in the Bible. So you don't have to worry about what about that prayer? What about that prayer? Jesus is simply providing a guiding framework or a starting point that should always guide our prayers. Yes, you may go into intercession. Yes, you may pray against the enemies of the Lord. There are all kind of prayers through the Bible. Yes, you may spend time in thanksgiving and celebration. But all of that can flow within the framework and within the starting point of the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm reading from the King James Version because I suspect most of us have memorized it that way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so this pattern of prayer, this model of prayer that Jesus teaches us, and there are many ways to maybe express this model. And I remember being in uh, the private school that I attended was a Christian school and we were taught the sandwich of prayer and, you know, praise was the, were the two buns and in between it was, you know, it, it stuck. I'm not sure how theological sound or, or uh, probably no seminary was ready to borrow the illustration, but it worked for a bunch of junior hires who were hungry to hear about prayer being a sandwich. But there is a pattern here, and there is a model. The first part of that model is praise. Everybody say praise. praise. Our Father. Do you realize the significance of that? In light of what Jesus just said, don't, be, don't give yourself the vain babblings. Don't just try to get my attention with uh, a bunch of words. Who, you, don't try to badger me. Here's why. You get to say, our Father. Right off the bat, immediately in the model of prayer, we begin by acknowledging that we have privileged access to the Almighty God. I'm not praying to some third distant God in the far reaches of Netherlands. I am praying to my Father and He hears my voice. And when I say my Father and when we say our Father, that is of immense privilege that we have. You should never take for granted if it's only 30 seconds. If you have the privilege to say my Father, it means God is your Father. It means there's an eternity that is awaiting you to spend forever with Him. Our Father, we begin by acknowledging Him. We, we reverence His holy name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The name of the Lord is indistinguishable from the person of God. They are one and the same. You and I, when we worship His name, when we reverence His name with awestruck wonder, when we glorify the name of Jesus, we are worshiping God. We are honoring God. We are glorifying the God. We're not some kind of weirdos that may, has made a name our God. Uh, 
the name of Jesus is God. That is God. It is the indistinguishable part of who God is, his name. And we honor his name and we worship his name and we declare our access through his name. We come and praise him with adoration. We begin with thanksgiving. All All literal hell can be breaking loose in our life. But when we come into the presence, we stop and pause and say, I've got a lot to say. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm battling a lot of things, but put it all aside. I'm going to, I'm going to set everything straight in the cosmos. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. David said, enter into his gates with and into his courts with, be thankful to him and bless his name. The second part of the model is purpose. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now that we've acknowledged our privileged access, now we pray for his will to be done in our world. We pray for His will to be done in our nation. We pray for His will to be done in our city, in our church, in our family, and in our lives. This is the point where we must fully surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the point where reality confronts us that either He is the Lord of all or He is not Lord at all in our lives. This is where we commit ourselves to honor His name, to submit to His Lordship, and to do His will. And to be sure, we are now long past Mickey Mouse prayers when we are praying, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This is, for you and I, a daily declaration that I surrender all. Every day I come into his presence, I honor his name, I reverence him, I acknowledge my access, and when I step before his throne, and when I bow before his throne, I declare, I surrender all. Your will be done. Wherever, however, whenever, your will be done be done. It is an expression that has truth. This is where the rubber meets the road. You can rev your engine of spiritual horsepower and brag about all the fuel in the tank. But if you don't ever reach this point where you truly pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. You're just a pretty show horse that is revving your engine and accomplishing nothing but an an impending uh, spiritual implosion. But this is where we put it in the action. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come and I surrender all. Then Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. There is provision. There's praise. There is aligning to God's purpose. And there is petitioning for provision. Now that we're aligned with the purpose of God, now that we're submitted to the Lordship of God, 
we're positioned to ask God for whatever we need or want. Now, if it were me, I'd have put this at the end. I don't like it being this quick in the prayer, right? That's just me. I'm weird all by myself. Understand. You see, I find myself praying 30 minutes. I'm going through the scriptures. I'm declaring the names of God. I'm telling him how awesome he is. I'm remembering how he delivered me as a baby. I'm thanking him for healings. And all the while, there's something I really want to say. 30 minutes so that I can get finally feel like I've earned enough brownie points to ask God for the one minute it takes that I've had on my mind the whole time that I've been praying. Somehow we feel like that if we don't, uh, you know, come crawling on broken glass up a thousand stairs to meet the great woo-ha of whatever religion, that somehow that, that we don't deserve for God to hear our prayer. But Jesus said, hey, you just have to come in with praise. You have to align yourself to my purpose. And then you get an unfettered access to ask me whatever you want. That's a pretty good deal. You see, I didn't design the pattern. God did. So I have, to, I have to look at the word of God. And I have to say, David, quit hedging your bets. Quit beating around the bush or whatever other cliche you can think of in your mind that says not getting to the point. Right? And have anybody tell you a story and it's like, I forgot where you started. I'm sure not going to get the point, right? That's me in prayer sometimes. Jesus, you don't have to be like that. You, in fact, Jesus is giving us permission for an economy of words to come in and say, Lord God, these are my needs. I have divine permission to unashamedly present to God my needs and my wants. What needs and wants can you present to God? All of them. All of them. He's the Heavenly Father. You get to ask Him for all of them. Every time we go into Target, I'm on the platform. Almost every time we go into Target, Bronson wants to go to the toy section. You know why he wants to go to the toy section? He wants to go down the Lego aisle. You know why he wants to go down the Lego aisle? Because they always have at least one box, a lot more, that he doesn't have. And so Bronson, unashamedly, he, his conscience isn't tweaked in any way to say, I'd like that, I want that one, put that one on the list. Boy, that's cool, right? I am his father. I understand he doesn't need any more Lego. In fact, if he never gets another Lego set, he, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and my great-great-grandchildren will have plenty of Lego all of their days. Right? But there's nothing like the first build, and I understand that because I was a Lego dude. So he gets more Lego because there's the first build. Right? That's kind of... In some way, I don't want to put God in some box limited by me, but in some way, it's kind of like our prayers with God. God's not upset when you ask and when sometimes it's wants. He's not offended that you pray beyond Lord God, just let me survive today. Let me not be in a morgue by in the morning somehow, God. Your prayers can be bigger than that. It's okay to pray for a minivan because you now have two or three kids. 
Proof in the pudding. Right? You can pray that God would allow you to earn extra income so you can go on vacation. That'd be nice. There's no restrictions here. Let God filter it out. What I, what I don't want is God sitting there with his giant gift basket, and I never asked for any of it. I'd rather him say no than, than have it and me never ask for it. So Jesus gives you permission to pray for whatever you have need of. That's why Paul said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. In everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And in verse 19 of Philippians 4, he said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then God takes us to pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. With my limited intellect, I'm always surprised that provision comes before pardon. I'm not sure why God did that, but I'm not God. But it is here that Jesus teaches us that we need to engage in self-examination. To place the Word of God before us and measure ourselves according to the Word of God by the leading of the Spirit, and ask God to forgive us of anything that is not pleasing to Him. As Psalms 139 and 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So when I have asked for pardon, now I have to take care of the people in my life. Because forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Throughout the New Testament, my forgiveness from God is tied to my forgiveness to others. See Matthew 18 if you want a passage to read later at home. In fact, in this same sermon uh, and collection of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, Jesus has already taught that if we have a relationship with problem with a brother or a sister, we have to resolve the problem before we can come and talk to him. And so there is this reciprocal uh, relationship between forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors then we need God to protect us for Jesus said pray this lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil you and I should never fail to pray for physical and spiritual protection we need the strength of God's word and spirit to guard us and protect us 
when our faith is tested or when our flesh is tempted, whether it's a test of faith or it's a temptation of carnality, it doesn't matter. I need the strength of God's word and I need God's spirit to rush in and to be as a mighty flood tide of a standard against the rise of the enemy. Satan doesn't care whether I fall to temptation or whether I acquiesce to testing. He will exploit any of it to destroy my soul. Don't think that you can ever go through a day just because of yesterday or just because you can cruise control through this day. No, no, no. Jesus said every day, Lord God, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I pray every morning. I pray every morning. If I don't pray for you, if I don't pray for revival, if I don't pray for North America, if I don't pray for anything else, I pray over my family and I say, oh God, I call the name of Jesus upon my family and your name is a strong tower and I pray you would be a shield around them wherever they go. Let the angels of the Lord encamp around us today, Lord God. What am I praying? I'm praying for the protection of God. And you need it and I need it every day. And then we end our prayer with praise, that sandwich of praise. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Psalms 145 and 3 would say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It makes a cute song and a great choir, but it's a better prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here's the good part about prayer. When we just develop this discipline of when you pray, of when you spend time with me, of when, you ex- when it's an expression of faith, when you get your motives right, just when you find a place free from distra- distraction, when you just follow a simple economy of words, a model of prayer, then you unlock some amazing things in the Spirit. The very next chapter, Matthew 7 and 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He's in the same sermon. He's already taught about prayer. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Amen. That's the good news of prayer. That if you'll just spend time with God, if you'll come to worship Him, if you'll come and position yourself to be conformed in His image. That's the whole purpose of prayer, is for the purpose of godliness. But when you discipline yourself, and when you dedicate yourself, when it becomes a delight to be in the presence of God, then you are an empowered ambassador of God. You're a son and daughter of God. And when you ask, He hears. And when you knock, it's open. And when you seek Him, you find Him. That is the power of our prayers. I am so grateful 
that Jesus took time to teach us about prayer. I'm thankful that it's throughout the New Testament, but here in Matthew 6, he taught us about prayer so that when we pray, we know the manner and we know the motives for how we should pray. I don't want to miss one day of spending time with Jesus Christ. I can't afford three days. I can get carnal in 30 minutes. I can't handle going three days without being in the, in the presence of God. And you know what? Neither can you. Amen? If you're able, please stand. For the purpose of godliness. That's what we're talking about tonight about prayer. And in future Wednesdays, Lord willing, we'll talk about some other spiritual habits. Because John said in 1 John 3 and 2, Beloved, now are we children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. There's a purpose for prayer. There's a purpose for fasting. There's a purpose for engaging and reading and studying and pondering the Word of God. It's not just to earn bonus points in the economy of heaven. It's for the purpose of godliness. Because I don't yet know Him. He's not yet fully revealed. But I know that when He is revealed, that we shall be like Him. So I'm making sure every day that I'm coming into His presence. And I'm worshiping Him. And I'm positioning myself where He can conform me into His image. So that when I step from time into eternity, what a day that will be. Amen? Amen. Amen. The hour is still early. If you're able, would you join us here in the front, as is our custom, before we go and live out our purpose in our world. I just wonder if you would come, if you'd take some time to exercise yourself in prayer corporately for just a few minutes. Maybe you need to make a fresh commitment with some new inspiration and understanding from God's Word. Maybe, maybe God prompts you by His Spirit right now to go pray with someone and exercise dominion and power and invite the kingdom of God to be manifested even in our time together. Maybe it's a time where you should repent and align yourself to God's purpose. Wherever you find yourself in the pattern of prayer this evening, I wonder before we go about to do His work, if you would join us for this time. They'll lead us in song. And just commit your heart to God, I don't want to miss a day in your presence. I'm not going to beat myself up as my routine gets shattered. But every day, God, if it's just 60 seconds, you're my Father, and I know you hear my prayer, and I know I can touch heaven's throne in that bit of time. Would you lift up your voice? Would you lift up your heart and a commitment to God? Would you allow the Spirit of the Lord to affirm His Word in your life and heart this evening? I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's it. Lift up your voice in prayer. When you pray, let's pray together corporately. Let's exercise the privilege we have to step into the presence of the Almighty God.
Praise God. Praise God.